0: All right, I, <laughs> I, I got to confess from the bat just one thing, okay? In this, looking at Psalm 100 today, I feel as if I'm going to come across like the Isley Brothers. Now, all my references today are 20 years and older. A thousand apologies to you, Jin, Whatevers. But the Isley Brothers had a song a few years ago, a few decades ago, that had. a hook, a repeated thing that you've probably seen, heard in every joyful spot in a movie ever. Shout a little bit louder now, a little bit. That's what I feel like today. Like I'm just trying to get you a a little bit louder now. There's no part where I'm going to be like hey, a little bit lower now. No, we're not going down. I'm trying to get you to go up, up, a little bit louder, a little bit. Shout a little bit louder. Shout a little bit louder. so. break the ice, just turn to your compadre beside you or anyone beside you and tell them shout. Oh, tell them shout. I love it. I love following instructions. You told them to shout. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't shout. You didn't shout. Awesome. Uh, I think it's funny that that, that where is it culturally acceptable to shout? I don't know. I don't know. It kind of depends on the culture that you grew up in. I grew up with some some friends that they shouted at different places than my parents shouted at. You know, white folks. Where, where do most white folks shout? Sporting events. Exactly. That's it. That's the only place I think we think it's socially acceptable to shout. Anywhere else, they're like, no, shh, be quiet. Everything else is like the library. It's like, no. That's why preaching for five six years to you has been like preaching to the library. I only know there's been, hey, laughter, this is exciting. I only know that, that I only since, I only perceive that the Lord has made maybe a meaningful impact on your heart when you look down and you write some notes. I'm like, okay, that's something. There's something, something happened. So today I'm saying a little bit louder now. Now to get back to get to Psalm 100 I want to back up to Psalm 189 not 189 Psalm 89 where God is speaking and it speaks of these problems that's happening with Israel and it speaks of the problems of exile of them being exiled out of their land and it speaks of the problem of their their kingdom or their Davidic king the Davidic din- dynasty being suspended so they've been kicked out of their land and the king and his line has been suspended and they're not experiencing what they thought they would be. And so five questions come up from Psalm 89 that I want us to see because Psalms 90 through 106 really answer these questions and Psalm 100 fits itself there. So five questions that Psalm 89 brings up. How long does God's wrath last? How long does God's wrath last? And secondly, it brings up, is God true to his nature? Sorry, does God understand human frailty? Does God understand human frailty? Three, is God true to his nature of justice, righteousness, unfailing love, and faithfulness? If this is our experience, if we're in exile, if if there's no king from David reigning on the throne in Israel, we don't have a king, we don't have a throne, we don't have a land, what are these promises? What is our experience? Is God still true to his nature? Is he still who he says he is? Four, is God just in not taking vengeance against the enemies who exiled them? And lastly, do these questions undermine God's ability to rule? Now, I told you Psalms 90 through 106 uh, answer these five questions, but Psalm 100 just really answers three, four questions and 5. The answer to 3, 4, and 5 from Psalm 100 is this. The Lord is faithful and good and deserving of worship. They, the people, are the sheep of his flock and the citizens of Zion. So shout. Shout. So verse 1, here we go. Psalm 100 verse 1. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the lord serve the lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs acknowledge that the lord is god he made us we are his his people the sheep of his pasture so the the whole earth so you gotta think this is a very particular psalm for a particular People, but it starts off. I know this isn't just to you, Israel. This isn't just calling us to worship. It's the whole earth that the nations are invited to worship the Lord. In other Psalms, the psalmist will say, Let the nations be glad in the Lord. Like, what's the hope for all the people groups around the world that they would be glad in the Lord? So he says, Shout triumphantly. In your ESV, if you have that, it says, Make a joyful noise. Now, this isn't giving tone deaf people like me a break, that's where I hear people using it, that's not the point here, it's like, hey, you can't sing, make a joyful noise, and I'm like, you mean make this tone deaf noise that I make? That's what I do, just monotone through a whole song, but that's not what this this is talking about, shout shout triumphantly, uh, uh, make a joyful noise, and it's really not about just a lively atmosphere, that that we just be more what it's about is is paying homage. It's homage shouts or fanfare to a king. Yeah. Woo! Yes, he did it. Woo! He finished it. Accomplished. Did it? Win. Shouting like I said, in in many of our culture is just not socially acceptable. We don't experience it. And so then we've talked about it for six years, but when we embrace these things that are outside of our culture but are from the Bible, it means we have to sway to, submit to what the Bible says, not to what our culture says in expression or format. Meaning (laughs) when the Bible tells us to clap, or we sing songs from the psalms that say, raise your hands, it, these aren't songs for us just to sing. It's to actually engage with. We're not, <laughs> we're not supposed to, to shout quietly. Or I don't know how you can bend it in your heart, right? I shout in my heart. I don't know what that means. I don't think that's what God is saying. If, if you recall, we're going to look at Exodus a few times from this text, but, but when Moses is on the mount and he comes down with Joshua, what does Joshua hear while the people are throwing a raucous worship event to a golden calf? Loud celebration. They think it's warfare. They think a fight has broke out because it's such loud screaming and shouting, and that's what they're doing to this tiny golden calf that they've made from the golden earrings of the people that they've plundered because God delivered them. And rather than continuing to worship him, they start praising, shouting, yelling at this God, thanking this tiny golden calf for deliverance. That's the shouting that is spoken of. It, it, it isn't acceptable. So we have to then say, all right, God calls me to shout, calls me to serve him with it calls me to, to come with him before his presence with joyful songs, then this really matters on Sundays. It really matters how we gather together as a people and praise his name as we corporately express our joy and our gratitude in the Lord together. I mean, my dad used to shout, but again, I mean not at me. Uh, at sporting games, right? At, at other players. I'm no, just kidding. At the at the refs, yell at the refs. I'm like, yeah. I remember I went to public school all my life. For the last two years of high school, I went to this Christian school in the east side of Fort Worth, and and my dad yelled at ump. uh a ref on the basketball court because I was getting fouled a lot. And he was up on this balcony and uh, he yelled so loud one time that the ref stopped the game and asked who who yelled that. And my Christian school was definitely quiet. (laughs) My dad stepped forward and said I did. And uh, they kicked him out. And then the Christian school went Wow, and all cheered for him. I don't know what was <laughs> happening, but, but I think we've relegated, what I'm trying to point out is just we've relegated this idea and some of this passion, affection, release of joy and shouting of victory to just one aspect of our life <laughs> when that cannot bear the weight of your joy. That doesn't deserve that expression of joy what does is what the psalm is leading us to shout triumphantly to the lord with gladness this is expressing joy and living harmony with your creator it's he who made us living in harmony with your redeemer your king psalms 90 through 106 that big response to the idea of there's no king is that the lord is our king And there's these joyful songs, and you're supposed to bring them to the Lord at his presence. And so these these sacrifices of joyful songs, that's appropriate as we approach his presence. Gladness and singing. This is similar to the the outburst of delight. If you've read Isaiah recently in Isaiah 40, there's just these outbursts of delight of questions. And this is who the Lord is. This is how good he is. This is what he's done. Remember this, consider this, flowers, Lord, everything, just the outburst of delight in who the Lord is and what he's done. And then in Isaiah fifty-one eleven, 11, it, it says it this way, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Like the woman pouring out oil on Jesus' feet. We, we pour out our affection, our adoration, our devotion on Jesus. We sing and rejoice. We gladly praise him. And, and men, I know we get that at the, in my first example is thinking about the, the woman pouring out oil on Jesus' feet, and that feels intimate, that feels weird, foreign to us, that we can't think about affection like that towards Jesus. And <laughs> I just... I disagree with you because I think most of you when you were a kid had a man on your wall. A poster of a hero that you, you looked up to, you praised, you told other people about, I think this is the greatest basketball player, I think this is the greatest X. Someone you would tell your friends about their greatness. I love Penny Hardaway, but the the person for me that I shouted for the most and at the most was Michael Jordan. I mean, think 89 against the Cleveland Cavaliers, three seconds left, he jukes Larry Nance, catches the ball, takes a couple dribbles to the free throw line, jumps, hangs, shoots, hangs, ball goes through the net, hangs, crowd goes wild, he's still hanging, then he lands, he jumps again, pumps his fist through the air. The crowd goes, wow, yes, right? Yes, that's it. That's, that's the joy right there. You did it. That was, that was crazy circumstances. There's no other person I can imagine that could do something like that. Wow, that's it, response to Jesus. <laughs> G- Jordan is cool, but Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos. Talk about his works. Talk about Jesus. Jordan hanging in the air, but but the Lord's the one who hung the stars and the moon and the sun in their place and holds them there currently. So shout, pump your hands, get a little bit louder. That that idea of Jordan. It's 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 in the idea. It's in the realm of shouting triumphantly, but you should actually think more of this because when the Lord does something, it actually means something. Because his works are what even allow us to experience other things on this earth. His creation, his imagination, his plan So, so it's, a, it's a little less like Jordan winning a basketball game. It's a little bit more like when people shouted for Obama when bin Laden was found. Or like when World War II was ended, that shouting triumphant, joyous victory, it's come to a conclusion. It's an end. We're done. By faith, we see the, the power and kingship of the Lord and respond Respond in joyful shouts, gladness, singing. Hebrews 13, 15 puts it like this. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. What does that mean? Well, that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. So verses 1 and 2 call us to give thanks, but then three turns and celebrates the covenant. It Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He us. We are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Now that, that know or that acknowledge is to confess, is to acknowledge him, confess him as what? As the covenantal Lord, as Yahweh, their only true God. Confess their relationship to him. He, it, it's him who made us. Confess their identity and position that we are his sheep, his flock, his people. He's our shepherd. And so he calls us to give thanks, tells us why. But whenever the why comes, it's all rooted in God's covenant. When he speaks of Yahweh, it's his covenantal name of this is who I am to. you. Then he speaks. It's quick, but he just speaks quickly of the covenant. You are his and he is yours. We are his people and he is our God. In Exodus, the sovereign God Yahweh graciously covenants with Israel after delivering them from Egypt, promising to be their God and their protector, that he will be their God. They will be his special people for his glory. And in Christ, you. And Christ, he's your covenantal Lord. So the, the shout triumphantly is for us. We can talk about them, but this is for us. To celebrate that the Lord is God. Celebrate He made you. Celebrate we are his people. Celebrate he is our shepherd king. So then, he tells us why, coming back to the covenant, but then that that communal call returns. It kind of pulls another one, and so he goes into verse four, calling us to give thanks again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Now the first two verses brought out the call to give thanks because of God's kingship, but then this verse four emphasizes really the communal act of worship that we corporately come together and enter his gates with thanksgiving that we come together and give thanks and praise his name. Now, praise and thanks so often go hand in hand because when God reveals himself to us, so often, hand in hand, he reveals his perfections and his acts or his character and his works. And so when you see his beauty, his manifold perfections of glory, we praise him, we bless his name, we say good words about him. And then when we, we receive the works of his hands, his acts towards us, we give him thanks. And, and so they, they so often go with one another and overlap with one another because this is how Lord, the Lord reveals himself to us. We praise him for his character and we thank him for his acts. Now, remember the, the back story. They have been exiled. The Davidic dynasty has been suspended. So I I think we read Psalm 100 and or reserve it for the times when we do feel joyful. Like, hey, I'm going to stay in the Psalms of lament forever. I'll I'll save Psalm 100 for another day there's that tension of there's so many things in life where we grieve and then we also celebrate. I I don't think your circumstance dictates your response. To this word. These people are not in their land. These people are under the rule of another nation. As people have lost the the, the visual kind of image of the Lord to them through David, that kingship is no longer there. And the psalmist tells them, them, in their position, their predicament, and their feelings, and their fear, and their uncertainty, and their doubt, shout triumphantly to the Lord. So so no matter where you're at, if you don't feel it, psalm is leading you to remember, believe, and then proclaim, praise, shout. Nancy Lee DeMoss in her book, Choosing Gratitude, addresses this kind of these option you have she says I've learned that in every circumstance that comes my way I can choose to respond in one of two ways I can whine or I can worship. And I can't worship without giving thanks it just isn't possible when we choose the pathway of worship and giving thanks especially in the midst of difficult cir- circumstances there is a fragrance. A radiance that issues forth out of our lives to bless the Lord and others. And then the thinking about Psalm 100, this question she asked I think is very helpful. Is the gratitude that flows out of your life as abounding as the grace that has flowed into your life? And, and, and that's my, I, I can joke about the sports and going to a game and how much some of us yell on a Saturday but then quiet on a Sunday. But it's really just this. I don't want to make just jokes with it. This is the heart of the matter. What I want for you is not a phony expression so that I feel better about your relationship with the Lord. What I want is that you would experience deeper and deeper the grace of God to you and then express that However that makes sense for you, but more. More. Why? Because this grace is more. To, to throw in some more language, like your, your shouting, uh, I'll speak for myself, my shouting for Jordan should not compare with my shouting about the Lord. One, It should have super abound. My shouting should super abound because that's what God's grace does to me. Super to me, so then flowing from me, should be that, right? That equivalence, at least, or we're trying to get to that point where, like, I actually care more about Jesus than anything else in my life, and so he has my affection, my shouts, my heart. A grateful heart, she says, that blesses the Lord and the folks around you grateful heart a grateful heart which enjoys people in their lives I like this, this corporate as- aspect that, that pulls us in to makes us think about how we come into Sundays how we think about one another how we enter into this place to worship the Lord but I I do know it's not saying enter into his house with grumbling and name calling Enter in his house with grumbling and name-calling and gossip and talking about other people. He says, enter with thanksgiving, with praise. We can come into this place. We cannot want to talk to people. We can stand away from, stand offish, come late, leave real early. We can go and talk about ourselves, just tell people about everything that's going on with us. There's many ways you can come to this place with what your ideas, what you're thinking, what you're going after in this moment. But this call to worship is saying, no, no. Priority, the centrality here is that you enter with praise, with thanksgiving as we gather corporately to praise his name and to thank him for who he is and what he's done for us. Your your group we sin against you most in this church, your leaders, but, but sin happens when we engage significantly when, when with one another. It's going to happen. It's easy not to sin when you don't engage others, but isn't that a sin in and of itself? Sin of omission, right? But still itself. So this this song brings us to to the New Testament where it, it provokes us to love our church. And and I clearly don't mean the building. You love the people that you love the Lord is doing in this family and what mission he is leading us on. That you'd love that that you'd love the Lord so you'd come together on Sundays with shouts and joyful songs and gladness. Knowing that each part of our, our gathering, praying, singing, baptism, the Lord's Supper, building each other up in conversations, preaching, all, all of those are ways for us to enjoy and share God's grace. And so they're essential for our spiritual endurance. And your, your presence in corporate worship matters because you have a part to play. Encouraging your brothers and sisters and spurring them to love and good deeds. So, this communal aspect of, hey, we're coming together to the Lord in His presence with our collective thanks and shouts and joyful songs. But then in verse 5, He turns and celebrates the covenant again. What does He say? For the Lord is good. And his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. He's good. And to be clear, back to his covenantal name, he's covenanted to be good to us. I mean, he is good. But very clearly, he said and covenanted to be good to us. So again, back to Exodus, think about Moses asking the Lord, show me your glory. Nexus thirty 34.5. The Lord came down in the clouds, stood with Moses there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. I love this because in exile or your leader failing you or your f- leader disappearing or your family disappearing or your dad abandoning you or the most conflict you have in your life right now, that in all of that, that you can recall, remember the covenant that the Lord has made to you and shout triumphantly or, or as the New Testament say, rejoice. Even in your sufferings, even in the pain even in the brokenness. It's that same idea of like, you're going to wait to praise him until all the brokennesses have gone, then you're going to never praise. Before Exodus, though, in Genesis, God makes his covenant with Abraham, and he says, I'm going to give you a people Your kids are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. I'm going to give them a land, and they're going to be my people. I'm going to be their God. But the wild thing about Genesis 12 is that God makes this covenant with Abraham, but in the ritual of making the covenant, he cuts the animals in two, and God walks between the sacrifice, symbolizing that if I don't keep my side of the covenant, I should be cut asunder. If I tear up my part of the covenant, I should be torn up. But then thousands of years later, see that God not only is faithful to keep his side of the covenant but he goes the gracious super abounding generous path and is torn asunder not for him tearing up his side of the covenant but for us Amen. And that Jesus the God man dies in our place because we've broken the covenant. Because we've not loved him. Because we've not submitted to him. Because we've not treasured him. Because we've not acknowledged that he's the Lord. And so then Jesus comes. And his body is broken. His blood is shed not because his father or he failed anything or did not live up to any of their promise, but because we didn't. So he takes the curse of the covenant and then gives us all the blessings of Jesus' life being faithful to the covenant. Meaning, when the lord looks at you he doesn't see your dirty adultery of that spiritual idolatry and greed and love for money and and desire for control and power he sees you not as like the the dirty adulterous bride that we are he sees us as his son the righteous groom who lived the life we didn't, and now we are clothed with that life. So, a little bit louder now. You know what I'm saying? If this is the truth, if this is who the Lord is, then let's praise him and thank him and unlock, stop suppressing, whatever it may be, that affection that you've so dampered, maybe because of your culture, how you brought up, how you think, how you're kind of naturally just wired, but you're like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't express that. And the Lord is saying, I made you. I know you. I made you with arms. That's why I told you to raise your hands at times. I made you with a throat and with those. Muscles down here that help you breathe and sing and project. So shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve him with gladness. Come to him particularly, specifically on Sundays as we gather together with joyful songs, with giving thanks and, and looking at this as this is what we get to be a part of by God's grace. And we get to build up one another to his glory. So let's enter his courts with thanksgiving, enter his gates with praise. Let's pray. Lord, because you're good with steadfast love and faithfulness, I ask that we praise you and thank you and shout to you and serve you with gladness. A few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 13, and we did look at lament and grieving things to you, Lord. And I, I've, I've seen growth in that in many of us. And in confession of sin in Psalm 51. And I've seen growth there. And Lord, I pray for, for more there, and I also pray for more here. That we would passionately pursue you and praise you because who you are to us and to what you've done for us. In Christ's name.